Own Your Life Tribe, what is up? Welcome to another episode of the Real and Unscripted Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Own Your Life LLC, the no BS podcast that brings you hard-hitting results-driven conversations on trending leadership and business topics. What is going on? Hey guys. Oh my gosh. We are so excited. We said we were going to do this. We're on this new adventure of uh, introducing and interviewing veterans from all over the place. And boy, do we have one on today. Yes, we do. All right. So we have Matt. Matt is a seasoned combat veteran, Army Special Forces soldier, Four and a half years in the Marine Corps with 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines, including two combat deployments to Operation Enduring Freedom. Following his enlistment, Matt served as a protective security specialist and in emergency response teams overseas with multiple deployments to Afghanistan. So as a competitive shooter competing in various uh, competitions such as USPSA, Carbine matches and two gun. Matt is always seeking to improve his skills in every aspect of the gun and implementing it into both worlds, whether it's tactical or competitive. And we are so excited to have you here, Matt. Say hello. Hey guys, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on board. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. This is awesome. We um, we're gonna dig into a little bit of like everything military. We're gonna dig into this thing that you have. Uh, you know, first of all, your uh, logo is awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, tattoo so, worthy, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have tattooed on you yet? Oh, not yet. Uh, if you kind of look at the history of what Special Forces is, like it's the cross arrows and dagger. That's like our symbol, right? That's behind our actual um, Professor Olivier logo that you guys see from Green Brace. Okay. And that's like our symbol. And you know how it is, like everyone likes skulls, so. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is true. I think I think Fritz has a few of them tattooed on himself. Well, there you go. I mean, there's one right here. <laughs> on my elbow, so I don't know if you can see that. There you go. Grim Reaper right here, too, so. <laughs> and that's funny, because like a lot of my, like even the Marine Corps infantry is like, our, our company logo was spade, usually as a sign of grunts, and then a skull was inside the spade. So it kind of matches, right? Yeah. Exactly. So why don't you tell us a little bit about strategic dynamics? When, okay. when did that come about? Was that like something that you were thinking about while you were serving or actually what brought it about? Really though, honestly, um, I didn't even think about teaching firearms. <laughs> uh, um, when I was in the Marine Corps, you know, it was just something that was, you know, you get tasked with the range. It wasn't enjoyable. I mean, it was more of a, like a, a task we had to do. Like, oh, come on, can we just get this range over with? It was just like out there in the hot sun. I was stationed in 29 Palms. So Mojave does it. Every time we go to the range day, it's just it's like, it'll be fun for the first 30 minutes. And then three hours into it, we're like, okay, can we just get done with this already? You know, um, it wasn't until I got out of the Marine Corps where I decided to pursue shooting outside the military. And really though, I didn't start my business till 2016. 
and I got on the Marine Corps in 2013. Um, I actually was teaching Muay Thai for a little bit, and I moved to North Carolina because uh, the the gym owner at the time was on, he owned a jiu-jitsu gym, and I was training there and teaching Muay Thai classes there. He moved to North Carolina, which I was familiar with, and decided he wanted me to come out there and open up a Muay Thai gym with him under uh, the Bay Muay Thai system. I don't know if you guys know uh, Dwayne Ludwig. Um, I was doing Bay Muay Thai under him when he first started out. And honestly, I, I really loved shooting when I got out, but I didn't think I was good enough to teach it. Huh. So what I did was I went and I saw classes outside the military. Um, and then I started opening my mindset a little bit more. And I just pretty much found out that I had a knack for teaching. That's what it was. It, it was just passing on information to other people and just seeing them enjoy what I love, my passion. The same passion I have, the same feeling I have when, I, when, I, when I'm training, whatever. Um, I, I could see it in their own eyes. And I, I was like, you know what? I would like to pursue teaching firearms. Um, my first business partner, he actually is the one that, he's like a father figure to me. He actually got the idea like, why don't you teach firearms and start your own business? Why don't you work for yourself? I was like, huh, well, why not? I, I just don't know where to start, you know? And he kind of helped me walk through it. Um, he kind of just like, you know, I used to own business. So here, he just led me through the way. And then I went out to go to do the NRA courses and, you know, for certain insurance purposes. And then I went out to Six Hour Academy, got some more certifications through them. I, I did a patrol rifle certification with them. Uh, great guys. And just people that I've met through, honestly, contracting. I met some uh, guys working with were prior special operations um, and, you know, great mentors. And they kind of opened my eyes a little bit more and, um, so I got to see, while taking classes, I got to see multiple different types of instructors, bad instructors and good instructors, right? So I learned what not to do and learned what to do and learned what works and what, what doesn't, you know? So that helped a lot by not only going to classes and, and, and learning new things, um, but more of, I pay attention to how they teach and how they teach and what they're saying. And I wanted to become a type of instructor that kind of want to describe the whys behind the what like why you do things and go really deep into it right because everyone's just like i've come to find out that a lot of people when they take classes they just listen to a person because that's the only person they know and they don't know if it's a good instructor or not and they don't ask the whys they're just like do it this way because that's why that's what i was taught like no that's not good enough to me, <laughs> right? So I wanted to make sure me and my instructors would explain the whys. I wanted my students to actually ask me any questions about firearms and I should be able to answer a why. If I can't, then I will tell you, I'll get the answer. I will find out, right? I never want to be that guy to be like, uh, uh, I don't know, or uh, that's the way I was taught, you know? <laughs> so that's when I was like, you know what? let's start a business. Um, I mean, Freddie was my, my, my first business partner and he kind of like, um, he has cancer now. He kind of just gave me the business. It's like, I want to see succeed. So now I'm running the business myself. So it's just, uh, he's, he's a great dude. He's fighting through it right now. But um, yeah, that's, that's how I started building the business itself because just meeting good people that kind of like supported my ideas 
and saw something that I didn't see in myself and was able to push me to, to go out of my comfort zone. Because honestly, I didn't like talking in front of people. I, <laughs> I really didn't. Um, I guess I just didn't have that confidence. Uh, I knew how to shoot, um, but it was just, I didn't have confidence in being a, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't have the, the credibility at the time. I, I think I wasn't good enough to teach at the time. Um, and which is why I went back into the military to pursue other goals. But yeah, that's why, I, that's how it started. Yeah. You know, I'd have to say that so many entrepreneurs are right there. They, yeah. they think, man, you know, I got through my mess <laughs> or I'm really good at what I do, but I don't think I'm good enough to actually teach people how to do it. Like your self-worth is, is not there. Right. I mean, and I struggled with that in, in the coaching side for a long time. You know, I went through a lot of crap in my life and I made it through and I, and I dealt with a lot of bad bosses, um, very, very few good bosses and, you know, worked my way up corporate ladders and all that other shit. But yeah, I questioned it all the time. I mean, it was really Kim that kicked me off the dock and said, would you just shut the fuck up and do it already? <laughs> And I was like, well, you're kind of a badassery. So yeah, I'll just go and do it. Cause I don't want you to kill me or something. You know, it's always, it's, it's funny you said, it cause it's like, it's somebody else that pushes you to do something. Right. Right. Somebody your comfort zone. Cause like, if I were to stay the track I was on, who knows? I, I, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at now. I probably wouldn't even go back in to pursue other goals. I would have been that guy that got out of the military and said, I'm happy with what I did and just go on with my life. Um, but in all honesty, I'm not that guy. I'm that guy to pursue dreams. At least try. I'll, I'd rather fail than not try at all. And from failure, I, I've told this to a lot of my students, it's okay to fail, right? As long as you learn from it, because success is, is not without failure. You have to fail to succeed. There's only those lucky, those lucky people that succeed, but guess what, once they face failure, that will determine whether or not they're going to keep rising or they go straight down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't like right. I don't think I've ever read the book about here's my life. I've had all the successes in the world. I've had absolutely no failure, no struggle. Yeah, I haven't read that book yet. I haven't <laughs> even seen it written. <laughs> exactly. I don't even want to. I don't want that book. I don't know. It'd be interesting to read. I don't know. I want to see what. It's worth reading, honestly. Also, it might be really good burning material. I don't think it would be good reading material. I wonder if I'll get past the first page or not. I don't even think I'd get past the freaking title. <laughs> you can use that in your targets. Yeah, there you go. Oh, my God. I'm not giving my students some motivation. <laughs> so I want to go back to Muay Thai because as you were talking, I was like, what the hell is that? Right, so it sounds really cool. So I went back and I actually looked up the definition of Muay Thai. So sometimes referred to Thai boxing, it's a combat sport that uses stand-up striking along with various clinching techniques. This discipline is known as the art of eight limbs as it is characterized by the combined use of fists, elbows, knees, and shins. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's just, you got the stand-up, it's stand-up right? So learning how to use every part of your body. 
If you watch Muay Thai fights, a lot of people know what Muay Thai is. If you watch Muay Thai fights, it's the most brutal thing ever. If you go watch where it's originated, Muay Thai fights in Thailand, you get 16-year-old kids, 17-year-old kids, or 14-year-old, that could probably kick my ass. I'm telling <laughs> you, they are brutal. It's hit after hit. Right? Obviously, Muay Thai is evolved nowadays, more of an American sport like MMA. But I don't know if it's really an American sport, but mixed martial arts, right? You guys see UFC, you talk about that, right? Law fighters come up. There's two types of, types of striking base, you know, boxing and Muay Thai is the popular one, right? And then obviously you have your ground, uh, which is like wrestling or jujitsu, right? So, yep. um, but yeah, Muay Thai is just one of those things that, that I like because I kind of grew up doing it a little bit of it. And um, it gives you, it doesn't keep you limited, right? Boxing, you got head movement, footwork, right? And, and hands. But the moment you add kicks and elbows and knees, not a lot of boxers can handle that, right? Especially clinch work, getting close up. Because a lot of fights, street fights, end up being close up. Like, they'll start far away. Haymakers, everyone loves throwing haymakers all the time. And start far away. But you get a Muay Thai guy that can just come in and clinch you up. And just, you don't, you don't know when elbows or knees are coming, you know? So, so that's why I like Muay Thai. Uh, Muay Thai is a great sport and it's a great workout too. If you throw in like a hundred kicks for warm up from each side, it's it'll work your side. Definitely you're bleak. <laughs> well, isn't that what uh, Spider-Man Silva fought was Muay Thai, right? Yeah. So, uh, so Silva, Anderson Silva did uh, Muay Thai as well. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was undefeated for how long? Quite a while um, until uh, Chris Weidman kind of broke his shin on his knee. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was brutal. Yeah, that was very brutal. Um, but just the fact that you studied that with your resume—I mean, you should have a tab on your website that just says "badassery." <laughs> I appreciate. It. You know, <laughs> it's, it's funny you say. I mean, I throughout my career, ever since I, I um, you know, I've been a Greenberry that long, and and. I went through special force qualification, graduated in 2018. And man, the the type of individuals I met have been amazing. Like athletes, I'm telling you. I am just an average dude compared to all those guys. Like there's there's, there's some guys who are runners, sprinters, and it's crazy, amazing different types of athletes that come in. And guys that didn't have any athletic background in, in, in their life. Um, and that's what I love about special operations. Like anyone can do it. It, it's do you have the motivation and drive right and the smarts to to learn everything like i don't think i'm special at all i i really even when i graduated i didn't get that um oh kim could probably like know what i'm talking about when you when you graduate boot camp from the marine corps you got your ega you, ever, you got that great feeling you're crying bawling your eyes out right when i got my brain i don't know i i didn't do that i thought i would feel that same emotion but it just never hit me. I'm just like, I just feel normal. I, I don't feel any special, anything different. And right. that's what's crazy. But I've met some amazing, amazing guys throughout the career and, and some great mentors, like uh, guys that have helped me push myself through my career and push myself outside of my career and my personal life as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sounds a lot like um, you would think he went through our coaching, Fritz. <laughs> you know, you talk about, you know, people, mentors of yours, people that you've worked with or been alongside that saw your greatness and wanted to see you succeed. 
And for you to know that, you know, that why behind what you're doing is so incredibly powerful and how that seems to be lost in society, especially right now of like what truly mean to dig in, to really truly understand why you go after what you go after. What is it that you love so much about that? And does it fill you up, right? If you had, if money and time were of no consequence to you, you would still be doing the same thing, yeah? Yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, man, like like you said, like um, just understand the whys behind everything. We've gone away from a society of critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people take the time to actually analyze and and think really what they're doing or why they're doing something. Majority of the time is just like, oh, um, you know, my friend said that, so he must be a reliable source, right? I'm not, I'm not going to think of anything else. I'm not going to doubt him. I'm just, you know, and it's funny, like even my students, like they probably hate me for this, but uh, um, I always ask them, I make them think I do. So when I do my private lessons, especially my private in my classes, I don't teach you just how to do something. I don't, I don't want to tell you how to do something. I want to tell you why you're doing it and kind of make you think why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. How, how, the how is, is, is important too, right? But the why is really how it breaks everything down and, and how you actually remember things. And if you don't understand the why and you're just doing it just to do it, and honestly, and honestly I don't think it's, it's worth it. Um, so I always push my students to actually think. Think why did, why did the round go out this way? Why did this do that? Why did you do that? Like, like, and I always push them. They probably hate me because I always ask them, why did you do that? Why'd you do this? <laughs> right? And <laughs> I always get that, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we know what that's like. The I don't know, the I don't know piece. Yeah. But you, know. you like to go shooting a lot. Like, well, not as much for- as I should. <laughs> which is well, why, I don't, you know, which is why I don't carry as much as I should either. But, but I think it's irresponsible to carry if you're not constantly practicing. Hundred percent. And and now so that's why my weapon stays home more than it should. But what's your definition of practicing? What What do you mean by practicing? You mean like going out the range every day, or what do you mean? Uh, no, not just going out in the range. Dry fire in the home. Yes. If If anything was to happen, how do I clear that room? You know, what is the exit plan? Where does my wife sit or stand <laughs> or, you know, cause you know, she has a weapon too. So it's just, but you know what? And I've said this to a couple of vets here in town because they're like, yeah, you know, I don't like my job and I really want this. And I said, you know, you know what we need is we need some vets because you guys are trained, right? I didn't serve. I, I wasn't, and, and it, it's probably one of the biggest regrets I have in my life, but I, I didn't serve. I went a different path, but it would be so nice to have instruction in my home, showing me how to clear my home, where to put the weapons in my house yeah. and, and exactly what to do in my domain so that I know not in a practice facility, that's not my house. Yes, exactly. You know um, what I mean? And, and there's just that I know of, there's nothing out there that goes to that extent that well, will teach that. 
Actually, I do offer that. Yeah, but you're in North Carolina. <laughs> I travel. So I travel. That's the issue. Oh, I can't wait to get that bill. <laughs> so so that, that's another thing. Like, um, I, I don't limit myself in one place. I, I do have I do travel. Um, I'm actually planning a trip out to Texas and uh, I have family in California, so uh some friends out there that want to take lessons, so I I plan a trip out there. But the biggest thing is just finding a range. But for my so I have this the service called the Castle Plan. It's an in-home security consultant. Um, what we provide is just like you said, right? Um, just learning how to, the whole defense plan, the idea behind it, situational awareness this is a big part, right? A lot of things that people don't understand when it comes to home defense, I'm actually trying to pull up right now. So like the service we offer is examination of your current security, right? What do you have in place? What are your outer and inner security measures? Like, um, and security, and honestly, for a home, does not mean having 50 cameras because you don't have the time to sit there 24 seven to watch a camera, right? Right. They are early warning systems. Not only only warning systems, uh, but more of a, a deterrent one. People see cameras, they kind of like, oh, you know, I'm gonna back off a little bit. Um, two, it gives you visual. Uh, put your eyes where in all the dead space that you can't see. And then three, it's evidence. You got to think about evidence as well, <laughs> right? That's that's a big part. And people don't understand like, yeah, you could defend yourself, but at the same time, you have to have um, seek some type of insurance for that as well to cover that. Um, but other things we offer uh, is identify areas for improvements for the security measures, your home defense plan, uh, having a defensive mindset, teaching that because that is a class on its own. And that is something that needs to be taught. Some people will learn it, but majority of those people that do learn it are off of people that like um, military families, right? Or, or friends that kind of taught them that, that opener. Because the things that I've learned in the military, I thought was basic. I thought everyone knew, but apparently not. It's one of those things like, it's just a, a huge eye opener. Um, people don't think about, when you sit in a restaurant, just going out, going away from your home, sit in a restaurant, where's your exits? Are you facing the doors? If you have a farm, who's the one facing the door? Are you facing away from the door? Like things to think about like that, right? Um, and then we also go over preparation and now, training. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you right there because you're t I understand situational awareness. I mean, cause I, I study that stuff and I actually, I actually have a membership. I'm not even gonna plug it anyways. <laughs> but I do get some free training on that through videos. So I understand the situ awareness, okay. situational awareness, but for our listening audience that may not be uh, pro weapons, mm -hmm. we're not talking about being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Paranoid? Yes. <laughs> we're not talking about being paranoid. We're not even talking about Go a little bit more in depth on what you mean by situational awareness. All right. And so, the difference between that and paranoia. One word, observation. Everyone, and for example, when you're walking around down the street, are you staring at your phone the whole time? Or are you actually looking around and seeing what's around you? That's one. That's having a situational awareness. Like even before you cross the street, looking both ways, that's situational awareness, right? Um, and good example. going 
so that's another thing. A gas station. Are you just blindly looking at your phone and then? Well, you shouldn't have your phone on you while you pump gas, anyways. But <laughs> <laughs> are you just your gas and just playing with your finger, whatever? You know, are you actually paying attention? Because a lot of stuff happens at night at the gas station, right? Um, well, are are you actually looking around to see who's around you, seeing what the other person's doing, right? If you're in crowds, like these are things that we've been taught: body language. Right? It's it's not about being paranoid. You're not gonna look around like you're like, oh, someone's always gonna attack me. No, but you're 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 processing, looking around you, seeing what's going around, you know, what's 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 outside because too many people are are too locked on to their phones when they're walking around and they don't know what's going on around them. And then those are the same people that bump into people on accident. Like you're not a situation weird, right? And and when you're in that type of mindset surprises can happen quickly and things are unexpected. So reason why we're talking about situation awareness is anytime there's a threat or something that, um, or a bad guy, whatever, they always have an advantage. We are always at a disadvantage, right? So when you don't have situation awareness, you're even more at a disadvantage because you're not even paying attention to what's going around you. And you don't have time to, to react to it. So that is the biggest thing about, that's the importance of having situations, being able to react to something, right? Because it's already too late. By the time we're reacting, it's already too late. So um, just, that's my definition. That's how I like to break it down. Um, and that's why it's so important to have that situation awareness because it's one of those things that people are too, they're too locked onto their daily routine that they don't pay attention to those little things, right? And man, it, it's so easy. It, it is so easy to like track someone's routine down. And, and you know, I don't, I don't, I can pick any one person out there. I'm not like I'm doing that, but I can just, you know, decide what is this guy doing every single day? You know, if I see this guy at a certain time at every single time, like every single day at the gym or not even at the gym. So that doesn't really matter. Like routes you're taking. If someone really wanted to track you, they can definitely like see if you're, if you're leaving at a certain time, taking the same route every single day, like, that makes it easier. You're just becoming an easy target. That's all. You know, we talk a lot about automatic, you know, the zombie state that we're in as a society. And, you know, and that, you know, if you're, if you're somebody that's like, well, that's part of my routine. I go by this, this place every day and at this time. And if I'm not here at this time, then my schedule is all thrown off, you know, like, yeah. People got to live a little. People got to get out literally outside of their box. <laughs> yeah. Do things, take a different route, you know, like go grocery shopping on a Thursday instead of every Tuesday, like simple things that can change up and get people guessing. And if they're guessing, they're not watching you anymore because now, now you have awareness of what you're doing, right? Exactly. And here's another thing. Routine isn't bad. So routine can be put in a good way as well. And come go along with going back to my home defense thing, I can have a routine of how I lock my doors every day, right? Or how I secure my home. That's a good routine to have. Right. But now if you have a, a routine of certain routes you're taking every single day or stopping at Starbucks at a certain time every single day, those are things that I would kind of take in mind. Might change or keep thought on, so. So now, now I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. 
So, cause a lot of our listening audience, you know, we, one of the drivers or one of the niches that we go for are entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, right? So how could you relate situational awareness, paranoia, and routines to leadership and business ownership? Hmm. Well, I would say paranoia. So you want me to break that down? Um, paranoia would be more of a, you're worried about what this other person's doing to test sabotage your business or whatever, right? And you're, you're so worried what other people are thinking. And you're so worried about um, how, your, how your business might fail or, or, or succeed. Situation awareness is more consumers. I'm situationally aware of what type of students I want to attract. What do my students like and need? And how can I prove on those things, right? Um, and being a leader, man, that's, that's just, that is, no, there's two different, some people will say leaders are born and bred, and some people say leaders can be taught. I think it's a mixture of both, right? Um, leadership skills, like, you got to be able to make a decision. Make a decision, stick with it, right? Whether it's right or wrong. And you have to analyze. First, you have to think about your decision, right? Identify and then decide and then act on that decision. And that, those are the three things that, that will define a leader is can you do that all in like a second? And it all, that decision is literally made up in a second, just like in a combat zone, right? Um, whether a squad leader decides to go left or go right down this hallway. And it could, it could be a decision to get everyone out, get five guys in the squad killed or get one person in the squad killed, right? So it's like, you have to identify, decide, and act on it. It, it. All that has to be decided the moment. The moment you, you second thought your decision, you know, it just goes to crap, everyone's dead, right? Um, but in, in a business mindset, it's the same thing. You got, you got multiple, like for me, like I have, a farms training is, is one of those, it's everywhere. There are a lot of people doing it. A lot of people with probably higher resumes than I have, right? Um, so one thing I like to think about is what makes me different? Mm -hmm. And how can I show my, how can I show that, right? So my resume would catch people's attention, but what keeps people coming back, it's me. So, as a leader, when, I come, when it comes to my instructors, I'm sure, um, what, let me go back up, let me back up a little bit. There are two types of leaders, the ones that micromanage, right? And then the ones that um, kind of say what needs to be done and lets their guys do it, right? Um, I don't like micromanaging my guys. I don't like leaders that micromanage, right? Because I feel like he doesn't have any trust in me. Mm -hmm. And I rather have, I, let, I rather let my guys learn, right? I give them a task and they have to accomplish that task. Same thing with my instructors. I give them a task. I'm like, I made a group chat. I'm like, hey, send me videos of dry firing once a week. <laughs> that was their task. That was it. I don't really care what they're doing, what they're working on, but send me a video and tell me what you're doing. Um, that right there, I think that's a sign of leadership. Like having something, setting a task, expecting uh, those tasks, respecting a standard from my instructors and being able to have them perform those standards, right? Um, 
like I said, there's different types of leaderships out there. Uh, I, for one, am not for the micromanaging type of leadership skills. Uh, it's one, it's too much work because <laughs> in the Marine Corps, I have to micromanage a lot, a lot. And, <laughs> and, and maybe, you know, the type of jobs I am now, like being a special operations community, that's one thing I, I'm glad I don't have to do is these guys are more considered professionals. We went through selection process. They want to be here. So I treat them like men. I'm like, I'm not dealing with privates. I'm not dealing with like brand new, fresh off the boat guys from basic or whatever, you know. I'm dealing with guys who've been in for a while, right? And that's, that's funny you say that because I know why Kim's laughing because her son, her son just went in. Like landed <laughs> 9.30 last night, he landed in San Diego. Oh, nice. That's my, I started MCRD, so. <laughs> He's yeah. had a good time watching those airplanes leaving and out. That's what I told him. Like, oh, it's gonna suck, dude. You're gonna be right at the airport, and you can't get on one of those planes. <laughs> I, I had a good time. I had a good time in the Corps. Um, he's uh, he's wanted to do it since he was a little boy, so he's he's gonna be fine. Mom, on the other hand, even being in the Corps. He's still my baby boy. And I never thought I would ever feel that way. Cause I've been like, when do you leave? And then it came up to leaving. And I was like, but wait, don't leave. You know what's <laughs> funny? I, I never, I didn't tell anybody that I was going to leave. I made a decision and I left two weeks later. I told him right before I left. Wow. <laughs> wow. But, but I also like kind of grew up on my own since I was 14. So. Wow. I, I lived with my best friend at the time and his family. They took me in. Um, and then uh, when I graduated high school, because um, football season, senior year, was supposed to be my year to like try to get some type of scholarship for football. And then I got injured, so I lost all the chances of like, getting looked at and took up a whole season. And then I went to community college. And honestly, like, I, I, grew, up, I grew up in California. Um, and like fair, I went to school in Fairfield, so I grew up in Fairfield and Oakland area. Mm -hmm. So it, it was one of those days, like you know, you know, either on the streets or in prison, or you're just stuck doing a minimum wage job and still on the streets, you know. Um, and I decided to go the other route because I had friends going the military. I, I honestly never thought about joining the military, never once thought about it until. Until a couple of friends of mine went in, came back, and I was like, all right, so which one's the hardest one? And I heard Marine Corps boot camp was the hardest one. I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. So I, was like, so I signed up and left. Honestly, I kind of got screwed in my contract because, like, I saw a poster in the, in, in the recruitment office. It was a, 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 a recon guy in a ghillie suit. I was like, I want to be that guy. And they're like, okay, you can leave in, like, October. And this is August time frame. I was like, okay, fine. I'll leave in October. And... Went to MEPS a week later, and they're like, "You want to leave this week?" I was like, "I was like, oh, wait, I wasn't told I couldn't leave till October." He's like, "Well, he's like, you can leave now." I was like, "Give me, give me another week, give me two weeks." And he was like, "All right, you leave in two weeks." Right before I got on my bus, my recruiter was like, "Hey, man, I don't know what happened, but I couldn't get you that recon contract. You have five year infantry or four years security forces." <laughs> and I was like, "What the fuck?" I was like. Just give me infantry. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> That's how mine went. And then the whole time I'm infantry school, all, like my buddies are uh, going to be uh, getting ready to go basic reconnaissance course, BRC. And then, and I'm over here. They're like, it's like, like, Matt, 
I was like, what's your MLS right now? I was like, I was supposed to go recon. I don't know. I'm 03 something. And they're like, he's like, nope, you're over here. You're 0311 now. I'm like, all right, fine. That's, that's, uh, that, that, this is ruining my dreams. But you know what? I met some amazing guys. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have passed. I didn't know that was that much swimming. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I believe everything happens for a reason. Um, I met some amazing, amazing guys. And like one of my friends that passed away after we got out, actually, um, passed away in his sleep. He was, he was one, of the, one of the guys that kind of like motivated me. And um, I almost went to Marsoc. I was crying out for Marsoc before I got out. But... I mean, people who don't know what that is. Oh, so so Marsa is a Marine Corps Special Operations Command. Um, everyone knows it was Raiders, right? Um, um, it's just the because uh, the Marine Corps has recon and force recon, which is more special operations capable. They're not really part of the SOCOM community. And in 2009, they started up Marsoc and kind of brought the Marine Corps onto the special operations community. Excuse me. And um, yeah, I got some great buddies over there, um, but I'm kind of glad I didn't go that route either because my buddies tell me it's it's great, uh, the status is awesome, but the missions suck. <laughs> at the time, this was like two years ago, he was telling me I was just, I'm sitting at the hangar and just just doing nothing in Africa. Like <laughs> I was like, oh, good thing I left. Um, there's a lot of my guys in Marsh actually trying to come over to uh, to the SF side and the Army side, so. Um, which is surprisingly like a lot of a lot of Marines. I met four guys from my battalion, from the Marine Corps battalion. When I went through selection, I saw them coming after me. And I was what? like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> it's a small world. I had, I had a lot of Marines that, that came in, and let alone guys from my battalion, peer groups, and, and, and guys that were junior to me um, come in aboard. It was awesome to see them there. Um, and they're, they're Green Berets now as well. And it's great. It is great to have brothers that you served with coming on the same route with you, you know, um, and just seeing them again. Uh, it's it's a small world. It really is, um, especially in the Marine Corps. Everyone knows everybody out there. And in the Special Operations Committee, the same thing. <laughs> so. It's really awesome you get to, to live your dream and live your purpose. And but you can see it in your face. You know, I know that this is a podcast and we're lucky that we get to see you um, telling your story, but we always say that there's this light that goes on in people's eyes when they talk about what they know their purpose is. And it's never what we think it's going to be when we start out, right? Yeah. It's never what we think it's going to be. And then we fall down and we make mistakes. And then, like you said, you've got to, in order to, to kind of come back that Phoenix mentality, like we've got to fail. We've got to go into the fire and fuck up real bad sometimes before we realize like shit, that 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 thing that I thought I was failing at like set me up for success on a whole nother level <clears throat> and so now you get to go out and take like imagine if you hadn't have gone the route that you went in the Marine Corps and just like yeah I'll just do that I mean yeah you wouldn't be sitting where you are you wouldn't be helping people with situational awareness you wouldn't be helping with home defense you wouldn't be helping with people understanding like how to process hard tasks. Like, how do you think about this? How, how do we decide to protect ourselves? Um, and so I think about the, the female side of the coin, right? So, you know, I went through boot camp a long time ago, 
my favorite part of that, I had two favorite parts. It was the hand-to-hand combat and the rifle range, our grass week. That was my, those were my two favorite times when I was in. Now I, I'm a little different, right, Fritz? Oh uh, yeah. but you know when when i talk like i have a lot of friends i have a lot of friends that are girls that go man oh my god you're so strong and like you're so cool and i would never fire a gun and like i think that's completely bullshit because if they were cornered and had to save themselves or their children it'd be different so for me, I've always wanted to have like this kind of course, like what you teach for a, a group of women to like really get them to think about mm. like how that looks, how it feels, like how would you take a group of, of women that have never held a weapon in their life and walk them through what you do? How do you, how do, you do that? Well, first of all, like um, everyone's different. I've taught, and what the difference between me is I kind of geared my my audience towards civilians, right? Professionals, not so much, right? If, I would love to teach professionals like law enforcement officers, but my audience are civilians. I have very, I'm very fortunate enough to meet and teach different types of people. People that were once deathly afraid of guns and they got the courage up to come and take a classroom. Like, Matt, can you help me? Like, I'm afraid of guns, but I want to learn. You know, I've had multiple females come and talk and teach me, and, and females are different from guys, right? And, and it's, it's all, every, and everyone's bodies are different. So, depending on the group, right? I, this is what I always find out. I ask a couple questions What is the purpose? Right? These are my private lessons. These are my private group sessions. I tailored a lesson towards their purpose and goal plan to that individual group. I have a course plan, but I don't follow outlines. I've, I adapt off of them. I have a base, an idea of what I want to teach. The only thing that changes is once I teach them and see, I do a, a little uh, more of a diagnostic test, have them kind of do a little shoot to see where they're at. I won't tell them how to, how to shoot at the beginning. I want to see them how, sh- how they shoot so I can adjust how they shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's different from telling someone, hey, stand this way, stand that way, do this way. I can do that. I can explain all the whys for that and everything. But I'd rather have them shoot, me adjust them, and then they can see when they shoot again, the difference in their groupings, the difference. Like paper does not lie. So that's how I will start, right? It, I will start them off from... Just kind of see where they're at shooting wise, right? And then work progressively towards their end goal. So it all depends on what the purpose of that training is. If we're talking about, let's for instance, uh, concealed weapons, right? Mm-hmm. If it's all females, guys. Now I have to understand the questions I'll ask for that prior to the class is how does each each person carry their firearm? Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I will decide. I, I'm not going to say, hey. This is what I do, and this is what I'm gonna teach you. Because I carry a pen inside the waistband, right? That's how I carry. I'm not gonna go to them like, "Hey, this is what I'm teaching," because this is what I do. That's not how I do things. I will try to understand the purpose, because like, ladies have different clothing, different body types, and sometimes they can't wear certain things that guys wear, 
and carry the same way you do. So I always got some why they carry so weight, and then okay, I'll respond. And I'll show them techniques, whether it's carrying from your purse, carrying for two, uh, three o'clock, six o'clock, appendix carry, or however, uh, a thigh holster or a stomach, or one of those waistband holsters that a lot of females wear nowadays. Like whatever their equipment is, I'll teach them how to use it. Um, so, so it's always based off of what that person's daily life is, especially when it comes to concealed carry, because concealed carry is a different animal. It's one of those things that um, people have to kind of, some people work their clothing around their gear, and or rather their gear around their clothing. So it depends on what you, what you want to do there. Uh, again, going back to how I teach the class, this is I ask those questions, what's the purpose? And, and then for the concealed, like for the sake of uh, sake of like a subject we're picking is this concealed weapons permit or concealed weapons class. Um, the purpose behind it is concealed weapons class. And then now ask, all right, so what? How do you carry, and um, why you want to take a class? Mm -hmm. That's all I ask. Everything else I build off that. Uh, I always start from the beginning, basics. Right, because I always believe that you have to have a good base foundation. It's like building a house. If I don't have a good foundation, everything else is going to be crap. Right, it's not going to last long. So if I can build a base foundation of your fundamentals, then everything else is easier because you don't have to think about it. Think about it twice as much. Right, we will grill into those until it becomes a subconscious thought. Right, so you don't have to think about each individual step the whole way through. I will drill it and make you dry fire until you get to where you want to be, until we're satisfied. And then again, I'm not going to sit there and do have you do the same thing for three hours, right? Mm -hmm. Just because I don't have you get No, I'm going to get you through it and we'll go progressively. I'll pick it up depending on the group, right? It always depends on the group. Some groups learn faster. Some groups are slower. So mm -hmm. none of my classes are the same. If you ever took any of my classes, like um, it will never be the same. It will never be the same. I don't want it to be the same. It should be always something new because my, my instructors and I should always be learning. There's always be something new. There's always be something to be working on, right? Um, and it, I have an outline. We all have a, something to follow, but I always urge my instructors like, hey, adapt off of it. If there's a better way you want to teach grip, then do it that way. Because that's the whole point of like having different instructors. I may tell you how to grip the gun a certain way, and you might not understand it, but he might tell you the same concept, same concept, but be able to say it differently, mm -hmm. right? I always tell my students, like, don't just, I was like, I'm thankful you guys keep coming to me, but don't just keep learning from me. Learn from other instructors, because then you'll know what's a good instructor and what's a bad instructor. And then you'll know if maybe there's something that, if he's teaching the same concept and I can't say it the way that you can kind of grasp it, then he might be able to relay that properly. And then I want to know what he said, so I can probably say that to you again, to say it to another students. So I always get criticism from my students. I always ask them, hey, give me an AR, right? Let me know what I can do better, how I can describe something better to you, right? So I can make myself better for the next person. So that, that's how I am. I love that. I love that full circle. Yeah. You know, you're, you just ended how you began, you know, what, why that challenging that status quo that, okay, so why, why, why do you think you need to learn it that way? Or why should I learn it that way? Why should I teach it that way? And we, 
Fritz and I talk that, about that often and is why we have this business is that, you know, stop believing the bullshit rules that are out there that you have to be a certain way, talk a certain way, walk a certain way, you know, I don't know, shoot a certain way. Like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, you've got to be able to challenge that and, and know why you're, why you're going that direction. And so I, been awesome and there's so many metaphors in here for like everything that we talk about right Fritz <laughs> so many so many so I got a I got a burning question okay. him and I talk about this especially as of late and I know this is one of the things talked about in your world because mechanics are so important okay. but do you preach the slow down to speed up I'm sorry say that again do you preach the slow down to speed up Hmm. How would I say this? There's um so I teach that you can shoot fast and be accurate. Is that is that where you're going at? Well, yes and no. I mean I mean here, you don't teach how to go fast, you teach oh, you teach the mechanics, and that's I what I mean both. by you gotta go slow to go fast. Yes, so I do both, exactly. As a beginner, obviously, I'm not going to teach you how to go fast, right? I want you to understand the mechanics. Yes. Um, as a beginner, because one is a safety thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Always make sure you're sure they're safety because believe it or not. class. I lost the toe. <laughs> you know, I'd rather them be safe about it. And they're, if they're going fast, one, they're not understanding every little movement, right? I teach the micros. You have macro, the big picture. Mm -hmm. Micro, the things, that, the things that lead up to that big picture. What, so, for instance, the draw, that's, 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 a, that's a lot of factors in that. There's a lot of different techniques, there's a lot of different movements, little parts of that draw, right? right? How you get to your holster, how you do the presentation. At the end of the presentation, what are you doing, right? So macro is having the draw all the way out in presentation and being able to be on your target and have your sights on the target, side alignment, and trigger prep, right? So that's macro. Micro is... What am I doing with my support hand when I got, touch my gun? How do I get to my gun? How am I uh, referencing my dominant hand, my firing hand onto my gun? Or activating the retention on it, right? Mm -hmm. From the holster. And then from there, how do I actually defeat that activation or get my gun out of my holster into presentation? So those are the things that I pay attention to. Those are the things I work on. If you go fast, just do it just fast. Uh, you don't pay attention to those things. And, don't, and then people don't understand consistency you may do it fast once in a while and get it right once in a while you may get lucky that's fine but that's not consistent you want to be able to do the stuff on demand consistently so i do depending on the person that's why i'm saying this depends on their experience i teach the basics at a certain speed right not fast just making sure they understand the mechanics and then when they get comfortable with that I then push them to go faster, right? And that's, I separate those. I don't, I don't combine them, right? I kind of separate those. So it all depends on the person. Um, I get some guys that have understanding and they can move a little faster and I can push them to go faster. Um, but sometimes there are guys that have old habits and I'm like, all right, now we got to slow down and I have to start you all over. Yeah, that's, that's, so, that's exactly what he meant. That slowing down to speed up. We talk a lot about that in our coaching, you know, <clears throat> is, is we have to slow down to really, it's almost like unzipping the matrix, right? 
you know, total clarity about what we're doing, which allows us to go faster, but sometimes we got to slow down to do it and to have oh, that. What you're saying now. Okay. Yeah. We got to slow down to have that efficiency. And so, yeah, once you're in it, you're, you're not going to go to a Muay Thai and be like, I'm going in all in like fast. You will get fucked up. And <laughs> yeah. going off of what you just said. So there's two things. There's a technique, how to go fast. There's a right way. Right. And then even in my training, there comes to a time where I'm going really, really fast and I could go fast and be accurate. And then I'm pushing speed this whole week. And I'm sorry, I'm missing. I'm just missing, missing, missing. That is my cue to be like, all right, I gotta slow down and get my hits. To, right. actually, to actually be faster, believe it or not, you have to go fast, fail, and then just slow down just a little bit, right? And stay consistent and then speed up again and then slow down just a little bit. So it's like, it's like a ladder. And you're always gonna be faster and faster and faster and faster, even by slowing down just a little bit. There you because go. You're, you're only slowing down a little bit and it's still faster than what you first started. That's right. So I and, love that. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's so many metaphors in this whole entire podcast that you can relate to life. You can relate to business. You can relate to leadership. I mean, so many. So I, our listeners, man, I hope you guys were paying attention because this has been a really good episode. And especially if you know the depth that Kim and I go and some of the, th some of the places we play, um, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people listening can understand how they can apply some of these metaphors in your life, which is, you know, why we strategically asked some certain questions because we knew it would lead to certain metaphors and, and everything. And, you know, the one that I like to use a lot because Kim and I, when we built this business, we built it really fast and we just, we never worried about the how we just, we ran. And, and <laughs> so I often say, you know, it's just, it's ready, fire, aim. And that's kind of how we built it is just, we knew we could get the target. We could get that trajectory eventually, but we didn't worry about when we pulled the trigger, whether it was on target or not. We just, we knew we were going down range. This that's is what I wish people could see us because <laughs> he's like freaking out laughing and like, rocking in a seat because he's like oh my god <laughs> that's yeah the, it was it's, it's fuck it ment mentality that the fuck it mentality like that's why yeah. I fly the whole time like people don't know get this about me but i went to military free fall right i'm scared of heights <laughs> but the fact that i had that i have this mentality of fuck it i'm not gonna be a, i'm not gonna be a bitch about it. i'm like i'm gonna do it i'm not gonna be a bitch in front of my guy i was like <laughs> fuck it and i actually enjoyed it towards the end so like, like, it doesn't matter what my fears are. It's, it's having that courage, right? To do, to take that step like what you guys did and just say, fuck it, <laughs> right? No more solid ending to an amazing podcast than that right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Matt, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. And thank you so much for your service. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for having me here. Um, hope we can do this again. Absolutely. Conversations. And when For you're sure. up in Wisconsin, we expect a lesson. Well, let's schedule something. I'll, I'll be out there. We can do a video about it and everything. Put it up for everybody. Sounds good. Kim, you want to close us out? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so if you want to find out more about Matt, and what he's doing in his team, go to street st strategic dynamics, LLC.com. Uh, we'll have that posted as well, but thank you so much, Matt, for coming on here with us and, um, yeah, thanks again, guys. And we'll see you guys next time. Love you guys. Thanks. Own Your Life Tribe, thank you for tuning in this week for another episode of the Real and Unscripted Podcast, brought to you by Own Your Life, LLC. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please make sure to visit our website, ownyourlifellc.com, where you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and never miss an episode.